And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau bore a grudge against his brother that caused him to vow to kill him. Trading is a serious business. And we see Esau mentioned again in the New Testament. Hebrews 12, 15-17 See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. It's all about desire and inheritance, beloved. Stories such as these about real people are there as a warning to us. The Bible is littered with them. Here's another one. What about Reuben and an ungoverned, uncontrolled sexual desire? Genesis 35:22. And it came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. One sentence, you've probably read it and passed over it without much more thought. The significant part is, Israel heard of it. And the significance comes later on. Jacob hears about what Reuben did, but it isn't until Genesis 49, when he, Jacob, is about to die, that this desire comes home to roost. The scene is Jacob blessing his progeny just prior to his death. Now we see the end result of Reuben's ungoverned sexual desire. Discipline delayed is not discipline overlooked, and here comes the payoff. We don't know how many years elapsed between Reuben's indulgence and his father's impending death. As the firstborn of Israel, he should have inherited a double blessing as head of the family, but he forfeited this for a moment's sexual gratification, and subsequently he finds he's lost everything. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have the preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Uncontrolled as water, all over the place, no stability, can't be trusted, has this weakness for ladies. So for a moment's sexual gratification he loses his birthright. Esau was at the mercy of his belly, Reuben was at the mercy of his hormones. Then we have Moses, uncontrolled anger, a desire to speak his mind. Numbers 20, 11 and 12. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Moses' frustration, read anger, at the children of Israel led to his forfeiting entry to the promised land. He traded an outburst of anger, his desire to tell them just what he thought of them for that which he had waited all his life, leaving us the lesson that it is not how you start that matters but how you finish. You can destroy in five minutes that which you have taken five years or more to build. Self-control is not an option but crucial if we are to inherit a blessing, mouth shut, heart open to God. Lack of self-control will cost us. God let Moses see, but he didn't let him enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 34, 1-5 Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses knew the Lord as a man speaks to his friend, yet because of this outburst he was disallowed from entering into his inheritance. He could only look at it. The closer you walk with the Lord, the greater your personal responsibility to control the self-life. Another lesson here is that privilege and humility go together. No matter how much we think we know the Lord, He is Lord. He is to be revered, obeyed and feared with a proper fear. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This warning again is here for our instruction in order that we may walk circumspectly with the Lord in a proper love, respect and awe of who he is. God is not idle in his commands, they are always for our ultimate good. So Saul a test command and incomplete obedience. His problem? He couldn't wait. Impatience. In this scenario, Saul, Saul has been told to wait seven days until Samuel comes, but as a test, Samuel delays. And the result of Saul's impatience, which cost him dear, is found in 1 Samuel 13, 8-14 in the New American Standard Bible. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? 
And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I haven't asked the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul was anointed as ruler over God's inheritance, the nation of Israel. However, he didn't keep that commandment concerning the complete destruction of the spoils of the Amalekites, and neither did he wait for Samuel as he'd been told. And as a result, the kingdom was taken from him. The desire for action and the fear of losing the support of the people precipitated him into disobedience and blame. Instead of accepting responsibility and repenting for his actions, Saul blamed the people, saying they saved the best sacrifices to God. He was more concerned with how he looked to them than the need for repentance. And he begged Samuel to return with him to keep his reputation intact before Israel. His impatience and fear caused him to seek honour from people more than the approval of God and disobedience was the result, and it cost him the kingdom. It is the kingdom or his inheritance that is torn from him, not his salvation. We'll see him when we get there. So again, Saul's disobedience cost him. His kingdom didn't endure. It was given to David, a man after God's own heart. But Dave had his problem area too. Again, it was uncontrolled sexual appetite leading to murder. But there was a reinstatement. Contrast what happened with Adam, Esau, Moses and Saul with David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah and his subsequent repentance and reinstatement. 2 Samuel 11 and 12 will find the story. David is on a rooftop, having lingered behind in the season when kings went to war. His first mistake, he hung about. 2 Samuel 11, 1 and 2 tells us the start of it. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. The woman was Bathsheba, and the appetite in King David that was ungoverned was again sexual. However, because of the depth of his repentance and the honesty and integrity of his heart, he was restored and regained his inheritance. He recognised who it was he had sinned against. Psalm 51, 1-4 Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. 
according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil, what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. All these people, with the exception of David, lost their inheritance but not their salvation because they did a trade or disobeyed a test commandment of God. They traded that which is imperishable for the perishable. David came close, but his heart was towards God and his repentance thorough and sincere, which caused the Lord to reinstate him, though he was not allowed to build a temple for God because he was a man of blood. 1 Chronicles 22, 7-9 David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest and I will give him rest from his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. The others didn't come into what God planned for them because of their willful denial of his lordship over their lives and their desire to obtain for themselves that which God had not planned for them. And when the test came, they failed it and lost their inheritance by trading. Inheritance is tied to this life and your identity. If you are not fully convinced of the truth of your identity in Christ, that you are the beloved in the beloved, it will not be difficult for a trade to seem attractive. As we can see, it's perfectly possible to trade your inheritance for something immediate to satisfy a desire, an urge or an appetite. When God gives a command as a test, it has to do with our inheritance. When he says do this or don't do that, it's only for your ultimate welfare. But there is a price tag attached to your disobedience and it has nothing to do with your salvation. If we fail to discern God's way, we disqualify ourselves from receiving our inheritance. When Adam and Eve chose their own way, sin came in and God then had to turn them out of their inheritance, dominion over the earth and the Garden of Eden. So you can see how a command from God can be linked to your eventual loss or gain of inheritance. In the one you make a trade, taking something much less than God has for you in a moment of temptation. In the other, you lose that part of your inheritance by proving you're not to be trusted in that area. Simply put, it's a conscious acceptance of God's will or not. Will you do it or won't you? You get to choose and the consequence often has a bearing on the degree of inheritance in which we walk. Take Joseph in prison having been falsely accused of rape. 
He's waiting. He gets impatient. He's been there for two years or so. His opportunity comes when the baker and the cupbearer have dreams which he interprets for them. Genesis 40, 14 and 23. And he says to one of them, keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Joseph got impatient but so far as God was concerned he wasn't ready for the next phase and it was another two years before he was released back in the oven he went. Waiting is sometimes part of a test command. We have to learn to wait both well and expectantly, not tapping our fingers and saying to Father, come on, hurry up, because it is at that point we may be tempted to accelerate things a little by helping God out, doing it our way. Beloved, you've just lost something. You may have to wait another two years. Failure or refusal to mature is another area that can cause us to lose or cause us not to come into our inheritance. If you don't want to grow up. Growing up is a painful process because God is going to deal with you as a son. He deals with stuff in your life. How many of you listening would consider yourselves to be spiritually mature? That's not a trick question, seriously it isn't. One of the things that can happen is that you think you're growing up and getting somewhere, you're measuring yourself when suddenly God reveals himself and we feel like we haven't even got off first base. When God puts you into his process of maturing you, it can feel like he's being unkind at first. He asks us to get rid of things and we start rebuking the devil. When God puts you in the process so you can have your inheritance, we think he's being mean, taking our toys away. But his purpose is to cause you to relate to those things, people, situations, differently, maturely. He will take you through a process which forces you to re-relate to those things so you no longer hold them as though they were yours, ownership, but you come into stewardship, looking after them for him. Galatians 4, 7 tells us that as long as the child is an heir, it doesn't differ at all from a slave. Why? Because he has no spiritual understanding. If you go to a child and say, would you like 10p now or a pound next week? They'll take the 10p. Instant gratification wants the money for sweets or a toy. A child wants it now. But the scripture tells us in Proverbs 17.2 in the Amplified, a wise servant shall have rule over a son who causes shame and shall share in the inheritance among the brothers. There's interesting. The servant who grew up and matured just got your inheritance. God measures growth, beloved. He doesn't measure time. He measures growth and he measures it for a purpose in order that he may give you something. He is the architect of your destiny, but you will have to give him planning permission and take responsibility for your own growth. Maturity is exceedingly important. 
because maturity means God is going to put you into the land of promises. It means he's going to put into your life blessings you can give away. You will become a giver as he is a giver and you will begin to live in fullness, not measure. Another way we can fail to come into our inheritance is failure to accept correction. We need to develop listening ears when people bring a remedial word or a word which we don't like and not close our hearts because we don't like it. We all have a blind spot and none of us like it when it's pointed out to us. A heart which is tender and open to hear keeps us able to hear from the Father through some of the most unlikely sources. If we refuse to hear, we develop a habit of disobedience which actually impairs our faith and injures our ability to move on and hear. We harden our hearts, we close our ears to the bearer of the message and so towards God. And eventually we say we can't hear him or he doesn't speak to us. Not so, beloved. Do a review and don't just go back three days. Go back as far as it takes to find out just where you started to close your ears. That is where he will want to take you back to. So we need to train ourselves to hear when our spiritual family comes to us. We need to go to Father and ask, is there a grain of truth in this? He will answer that prayer, even if we have to dredge up every ounce of our sincerity to say it. I didn't read that in the book either. I don't find it easy to be corrected, but I am learning to bow the knee to whosoever God sends to me. I want to be teachable, moldable and correctable. And I will go to him and ask, is there a grain of truth in this? The result of our unwillingness or failure to hear means we keep going our own way, which is the wrong way. You're on a train which you think is going to London and you're absolutely convinced that's where it's going. It's actually headed for Dover. So you're not going to land up in London, beloved. You're going in the wrong direction and it doesn't matter how far you travel in the wrong direction, you will not reach your destination. You will have to retrace your steps. If we ever have to correct someone, we need to remember that dealing with them is God's business. Our business is simply to take the message, to continue to love them and leave it to the Father. We're simply the postman. He may tell you to keep going to the same person and give them the same message, but the outcome is not yours to determine. You're the postman, you're the messenger. Taking a message to someone who consistently refuses to hear is a painful business. It will break your heart because you know sooner or later for their ultimate welfare, Father will have to make that message clear to them in some way and he'll draw a line beyond which he will not allow them to go. And he usually uses adverse circumstances at this point to get their attention tension and it's painful if you're looking on. I have walked with folk many times I know what I'm talking about so be corrected beloved humble yourself 
and be corrected. It will save you time and much grief and pain. Another one is illegal escape routes. And by that I mean that when the pressure comes we want a way out. We can't see that he may be teaching us something in it and through it. 1 Corinthians 10:13 in the NIV No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. And if he doesn't provide a way of escape, a way out, what are we to believe? Simply that we can endure it. Lord, you're killing me. Hopefully. That is probably what the situation was intended to do. When God is asking us to grow up, he will place us in situations that are difficult because he desires to produce some choice fruit in us which he hadn't been able to produce previously. Hebrews 11.15 If they had been thinking of the country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. These people in the so-called Hall of Faith in Hebrews 13 in Hebrews 11, sorry, had left Egypt. They had no intention of going back because they sought something else. He will let you go back. He'll allow it if that's what you want. But these people were looking for a city whose architect and builder was God himself. They had their eyes on the prize. If you follow Israel's history, you'll very soon detect they murmured and complained. They rebelled and they wanted to turn back. God had them on course for the promised land, but they wanted escape routes. They wanted to run, to cut across the park, avoid pain, avoid difficulty, and go back to somewhere where they'd been in slavery, some trade. And the problem with running away always is that in love, he would just cut you off at the park.